Beginning our final week of the series Established, talking this morning about sharing God. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, we're going to be there in just a few moments. A uh, little bit of introduction to this uh, message, though. We've been in this series over the last few weeks called Established. And as we wrap up this series, I want to talk to you about sharing God and the importance of sharing our faith. And I know when I start to talk about this, this is one of those things that's kind of like a gut punch to us. Most of us don't like to talk about politics or religion. When I was raised, I was always told those are the two forbidden topics in polite conversation. You just don't bring those things up because no one is going to agree. Everybody's going to fight about it. And so we just don't talk about those types of things. And me, being more of an introvert, I don't really like causing those kinds of fights. I really don't like talking about things that I know are going to make people uncomfortable. I also don't like generally going up and talking to people I don't know. I just, if you ever see me at like a large gathering, I'll usually be the guy back in the corner looking at people. I'm, I'm not gregarious. I'm not outgoing. I'm not a person that, that goes out of his way to meet people. When I was preparing for the ministry, one of the requirements that we had was going through a course called Soul Winning. And this course taught you how to share your faith. And as its major assignment for the course is you are supposed to go out and talk to at least 30 people about the gospel message. And have an honest conversation. This wasn't pass out 30 tracks or, or, pat, or you know, stand on a, a box on a street corner and yell at 30 people about the gospel. This was actually going to 30 particular people and talking about the gospel. And that's not really that hard in Kenosha. I mean, there's over 100,000 people there, so there's plenty of people to choose from. And I went to the safe place first. I went down to the lakefront. Everybody gathers by the lakefront by Lake Michigan. There's walking trails, there's parks, there's all kinds of stuff down there. And that's where all the nice people generally go and gather. Well, all the nice people gather there, but they're generally not that very nice when you start talking about religion to them. So if I'm walking around and I'm trying to pass out a track or I'm trying to, to tell them or talk to them about Jesus, they usually got very irate. And a few times, almost violent. I even got shoved once um, to get away from somebody's wife because he thought I was trying to, to get her into a cult or something. I mean, it just did not go well. I mean, people yell at us, cuss at, at us, and everything else. And I was talking about it with my elder board at the time because they were all supporting me uh, going and studying for the ministry. I was intern pastor at the church at this time. And one of my mentors in the faith and a very good friend was named Gaylord Kling. Gaylord was a very interesting character. He came out of a life of rampant drug abuse and he got radically saved. God just grabbed his heart and pulled him out of that lifestyle and he was just on fire for Jesus. One of these guys that if he heard the Holy Spirit was moving in this church, he would walk uh, the 10, 15 miles to that church if he had to to get there. So he's kind of one of these slightly crazy Pentecostal people that pe most people are a little afraid of. And so he told me, he said, well, that's your mistake, John. He goes, you 
need to go down to the bad part of town and tell them about Jesus. You're trying to get rich people saved. They don't want to be saved. You got to tell the poor people about them. He goes, we're going to go down to the bad part of town. And I'm like, well, what bad part of town are you thinking of, Gaylord? And he said, let's go down to Lincoln Park and Washington Heights. I'm like, they'll shoot us if we go down there. Literally, if you go onto those blocks and you don't belong there, they, you could get in a lot of trouble. I mean, they're very violent down in, in what we would call the ghetto or the hood. He goes, that doesn't matter. We're going down there and we're going door to door talking about Jesus. I'm like, that just sounds like the seventh circle of hell to me as an introvert. I hate it when people knock on my door like Jehovah's Witnesses. Then I started inviting them in, and then they put me on the blacklist. So they, you know, that kind of solved that problem. But you know, going and knocking on people's doors or walking up to people on those streets is incredibly dangerous. But Gaylord talked me in, and he goes, you can't be a minister of the gospel unless you're willing to risk some things. And so, yep, him and I, we went down to Wilson Heights, and we went door to door. We talked to people on the streets. We we got propositioned by prostitutes trying to find their next drug fix. We got offered um, so many people uh, trying to sell us drugs. We got people tell, saying, what are you guys doing here? As a matter of fact, our last night we had witnessed probably, in uh, several times that we went down there, probably over 200 people. And we led 20 people in the sinner's prayer. Over 20, I believe. And... I don't know if any of them actually became Christians or if they just said the prayer to get us out of their face. But I don't know what happened to them. I know that God knows. But what I do know is that a drug dealer probably got his first gospel presentation ever. Our last night there, we were just starting to walk back toward our truck. It's probably almost midnight. And all the lights are shot out on this street. Keep it nice and dark for the drug dealer so the cops can't see them. And car comes pulling up, big long stretch caddy, tinted windows in the back. Driver hops out, he's got a 45 caliber sticking in his belt. And he go and profanely tells us to get out of the neighborhood. And and Gaylord is like, We're not going anywhere. We're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into the darkness. And you can see, you know, he's, he's, he's getting all up and angry and everything. And then you see the back window roll down in the car and you hear just a voice. He goes, yo, yo, preachers, come here for a minute. We walk over and then never saw the guy, just talked to us through the window. He goes, look, look, I, I appreciate what you guys are trying to do for my people down here. I appreciate it, I really do. He goes, but you're bleeping with my business. He goes, all these people want to go to church now and they're not buying drugs or these people just want to, you know, talk about Jesus and, and you're just messing with things. So I'm just asking you nicely, get out of here while you can. And Gaylord, <laughs> this is funny, and I know if he's part of the great cloud of witnesses, he's probably giggling about this in heaven because he he's, he's gone on to meet Jesus now. But I, he walked over and... <laughs> And Gaylord's like, I rebuke the spirit of drugs in the name of Jesus, Adam. <laughs> I don't know how he survived that, but he just, he just heard the voice say, yo, homie, we're bouncing, and jumped in the car and drove away. And what this course and what this time showed me 
is these facts. Is our job is not to save people. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to scatter the seed. Our job is to give people chances and knowledge and opportunity to know the God who loves them. Our job is to show love even to the unlovable. We witness to homeless people. We witness to one woman who was so obviously strung out on crack that she could barely talk. She was just twitching and all this kind of stuff. She accepted Christ. I don't know, again, I don't know if it stuck, but we gave her the opportunity to, to know that there is a God who loves her. We start to show love to the unlovable and then just simply harvest what God has given us. Take those baby Christians and help them mature into healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to do this because we need people, frankly, to take the reins so that the church goes into the next generation. And this is exact model of what Jesus has given us. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. It's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. We're going to begin in verse 16. And what we're going to read is called the Great Commission. It's the last thing that Jesus says to his followers right before he ascends to heaven. His famous last words to them, if you will. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but, but some doubted. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take these words, these words that are so important that Jesus made sure he told us this, before he went to heaven. These words that are to be the marching orders of our life. Take these words and impress them upon us today, Lord. So that we may do your will and share what you have so freely given to us with everyone who needs to hear it. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. I want to review just for a moment what we just read. In verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus directed them, and they, what are the next two words? When they saw him, the resurrected Christ, they worshipped him. But then it says, but then some did what? They doubted him. They doubted. Now, think about this for a moment. They're doubting Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who died on the cross, the one who has risen again, the one that they've been hanging out with for another 40 days, the one that they're walking, walk through, or watching walk through walls, teleporting himself all over Israel. This is a person that they are doubting. 
And any time that God is on the move, any time that God is at work, some will be worshiping, but some will also be doubting. There are always naysayers. You know, when people I know complain about being talked about by someone else or a false rumor about someone else, I say, well, just take, take heart because they did the same thing to Jesus. You're in good company. Don't let the naysayers get you down. I have a friend that took a church out east. He told me that the new church was really excited that he was going to be coming, that he had a, a very, uh, a very um, how do I want to say it, not earthy way, but a, just a, very, uh, a way of connecting with people that they weren't used to. And he just had that kind of evangelist spirit that he could connect with somebody that was the complete opposite of him. And that the church board was, on, was, was supportive of everything he wanted to do. And the first several months, everything was great. The church started growing, ministry started blossoming, everyone seemed happy. Except for one small group that considered themselves the core in that church. Some of the people who he was reaching came from the wrong side of the tracks. Some of the people who came back to the church after they had left under a cloud. Maybe they had a major sin that had been made public and they left in shame, but now they were coming back. And most, I guess most offensive to many of them was that he had a church service in a biker bar on Saturday nights and many of those people started coming to church on Sunday mornings. Now imagine your nice dressed church and all of a sudden Guys start walking in in biker leather and jackets and roaring up right before church starts in their Harleys because they're bikers. They got to drive Harleys, right? They got to have that roar. And then to top it off, one Saturday morning, he was playing basketball with some of the youth and he took off his, his dress shirt, his outer shirt, and he had just kind of a a skinny t-shirt on and it revealed the tattoos that they never knew that he had. Well that core group, at least that's what they thought themselves as, began to complain. And I won't bore you with the details any further, but it led to a church vote to remove that pastor. They lost. And the church core group left. And the weird thing he told me is that the numbers the next month showed a 30% drop in management after they left, or, or membership after they left. He said, however, next year at that time showed a 400% increase in membership. I tell you this story to remind you and remind me of this. This, not about you. This, Definitely not about me. A thousand times not about me. At all. I mean, God can, can make a donkey correct a prophet. He, he doesn't need me to be standing here. It's not about me at all. He can make rocks cry out. He doesn't even need a worship team. The earth is his footstool. He doesn't need a building. What Jesus wants, what Jesus needs, what Jesus has, has told us that we are to be is a church family. 
dedicated to adding more to their church family, seeing it not only grow more numerically, but most important, spiritually. And if you are a Jesus follower, you get to be part of that. Not only do you get to be part of it, you are mandated, ordered by your commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, to be part of that. And I know when it comes to sharing our faith, we have a lot of doubt. We're, we're worried about messing it up. And you wonder how much faith is enough. I just tell you, 51% can be enough. Just take that olive seed of faith and let it, or that mustard seed of faith and let it grow and become everything God wants it to be. Jesus here standing on the mountain, he's there and yet some are doubting. And it's obvious that God's at work. It said that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here's the command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now what is a disciple? It's someone who is met, who knows, and is following Jesus. This is what we want to be right here as a church. We want to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Which is another way of saying our goal is to make disciples. That's why he tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. We've all heard this passage of Scripture before. We've all heard the Great Commission. And let me remind you, when Jesus is saying that he has finished his ministry here on earth, he's just been hanging out for 40 days to encourage and teach his disciples and his, his followers a few last-minute things they need to do. His, otherwise, his job really is over. Three years of ministry, he's caused the blind to see, he's caused the deaf to hear, he's caused the lame to walk. He's fed thousands of people. He's done all kinds of miracles. He's done his teaching. He's gone to the cross. Three days later, he rose again. This is the resurrected Christ. This is the accumulation of all of his time on earth. And if you think about it, right before he ascends, he could talk about anything. But he chooses these words to us to tell us this is exactly what he wants our focus to be on. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything I have taught you. I am going to be with you as you do this to the very end of the age. I had the honor last night or, or yesterday afternoon to baptize a young woman that had come to know Jesus simply through me ministering to her mother as she died. And simply through that, I didn't really talk to her that much about Jesus. Between that and the funeral and the funeral message, she wanted to follow Jesus. And I baptized her in a hotel pool in Osseo yesterday. This begs the question, what is the subject of this command? 
Look through all the commands. Go make disciples. Baptize the nations. Teach. Look at who the subject of the command is. It's the word them. Who is Jesus telling his disciples to go to? Them. Who is he telling his disciples to go make more disciples of? Them. Who are they supposed to baptize? Them. Who are they supposed to teach? Them. Who are them? If you're a Jesus follower, them would be anyone who is currently not in the category of us. If you're a Jesus follower in the context of this scripture, you would be in the us category. But you used to be in the them category. And someone had to bring you into faith in Jesus Christ to become part of us. Wherever you go, that's where you are and the them are always there. Now we as church people, we don't think of them that much. We're usually always thinking about us. Yet the last thing our King, our Savior, our Lord, our God tells us before He ascends to heaven is for all of us to go after them, to baptize them, to make disciples out of them, to teach to them by the glory of God, about the glory of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, help them become one of us. That's the mission. If you have an idea that church is just for the church people, that's not biblical. You don't know what the church is then. The church is not for the church people. If you're a follower of Christ, you are the church. And as the church, you're called to reach them. It's not a building. It's a movement that you choose to be a part of when you surrender to Jesus Christ. And when you think about missions and missionary work, you think missions is across the world, but missions is also across the street. It's across your lawns. It's across a table or a workstation at work. It's everywhere that God has placed you. That is your missions field. There's a couple of churches in Kenosha, I love it, as they walk out of the sanctuary uh, over every single entrance, if it's a multi-entrance sanctuary, they have, you are now entering your mission field. And that is so true. God has called you and me as Jesus followers to be the light for these people. And you know what? There's no plan B. God put it all on our shoulders. If you're a Jesus follower, you're the hope of the world. We keep crying out for God to save America. We keep crying out for God to change our nation. But you know what God's plan is for that? It's you. It's me. It's the people in the church. And here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says that you and I are kind of in the saving business, but we're not called to be the salesmen. And I think this is what scares most people about saving their faith. They think, well, what if I mess it up? Listen, 
If you give an honest testimony to a person, no matter how jumbled up it is, no matter how poorly you say it, it's the Holy Spirit behind you that's speaking through you, and he is going to be the one responsible for that person coming to Christ. You really can't mess it up. And you think, well, yes, I can. I could say something really, really wrong. Well, what's going to happen? They're going to go to hell number two? I mean, they're already going there if they don't accept Christ. At least be willing to plant a seed. You never know who will harvest that seed in the future. I've shared with you, my grandfather planted seed after seed after seed, but he really never saw the harvest on this earth. But if it wasn't for him planting those seeds, I wouldn't be standing here before you today, or even a Christian. So be willing to speak the truth in love. You're called to be a witness. A witness simply talks about what they have seen and what they have heard. So I ask you, who in your life do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Could it be in God that God in his mercy, that God in his grace and his truth, and quite frankly, sometimes even his sense of humor, that he's put you in their life to be his witness? To give them an opportunity to respond to his love, his mercy, his grace, and his truth? You never know what God might do through just a simple invitation. Now here's the power of planting seeds. We can cut an apple apart. And we can count the number of seeds that are inside an apple. But if you plant one of those seeds, you'll never be able to count the number of apples that seed produces. Somebody had to witness to Billy Graham. As a matter of fact, the famous story of Charles Spurgeon is there was a, um, a deacon in a church in England and he, uh, it was a major blizzard in January. And there was feet of snow on the ground. And it was his job to go and open the church, start the, the furnace or the, the fireplace to heat it up and everything. And he did it. He trudged through the snow. Took him almost 45 minutes trudging through a major blizzard to get to the church. He opens it up, throws the wood in the stove, warms it up and everything else. And the pastor doesn't even show up because he couldn't get through the snow. In fact, only four people showed up to that whole thing. And he said, well, since I'm the deacon, I guess it's up to me to speak. And he opened his Bible, made a mess of the scripture, <laughs> didn't preach anything. But what he saw was one boy in the back, young man, probably 16, 17. And he didn't know anything else to say but to point to that young man and say, look to Jesus, young man. Look to Jesus. He wants to save your soul. That young man ran to the front and gave his heart to Christ. And that young man was Charles Spurgeon. That name may not be, mean much to you, but he was one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Ministerial candidates are still required to study his sermons to learn how to preach. He was called the king of preachers. Yet the faithfulness of one. That guy probably never even knew. 
until he got to heaven. Thinking that all he did was open up the church once in a while and that's all he was going to get rewarded for. And God said, turn around. And he saw hundreds of thousands of souls that came because Charles Hayden Spurgeon lived. And he never would have been presented with the gospel had not that one man been faithful. That just tells us, just be faithful. You know, God doesn't expect us to do this all by himself. And he definitely doesn't expect us to do this alone. Here's the truth. People filled with the Holy Spirit will reproduce after their own kind. Another person filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus also included in his final instructions, Acts 1.8. He tells the disciples, right before, literally right before his feet leave the ground, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is asking you this morning. Let's all rise. God is asking you this morning. He's calling you by name and saying, will you please be that last best hope for someone out there. Please be willing to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Please be willing to be an instrument of my salvation for that person. Be willing to take the baby Christian and help them grow in the things of God. And God's assuring us through this scripture that he gives himself to you and all of his mighty power to help you accomplish this task.